Hello, hello, my let's keep it real people. Well, are you in for a treat? I call it a delight and a surprise. Originally, my next guest, Rich, had me on his podcast, which was called Miss Fit Nation. <laughs> so when I reached out to him, I was thinking it had to do with fitness, Miss Fit. But it was Misfit Nation, and it was originally started to give veterans a voice. So I was thinking, why is he having me on? Well, he also brings experts on who are willing to share their knowledge of how to be successful through taking action. And I was fortunate enough to meet Rich. Well, I loved him. I fell in love with him, and I said, you have to be on Let's Keep It Real. His tips for life are not only awesome for veterans, but for everyone. And I freaking loved his stories. So please, please give a round of applause for Rich. And as always, you know how much we appreciate when you share the podcast, like it, rate it, and it would be so awesome sauce if you subscribed. Until next time, toodles. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my Let's Keep It Real people. Well, you know I love first, and this is going to be the first... I think in the 10 years I've been recording, we've never had anyone come on and talk anything about veteran issues. Now, I'm sure we've had veterans on, but I didn't know it. So I was actually interviewed on Rich's podcast, which I love the name, The Misfit Nation. And now I said, oh man, I have to have you on mine. But before I bring him on, let me just tell you a little bit about him. He is an Army veteran who realized having a purpose in life is the best way to live. He is a life learner and is pursuing his doctorate from Liberty University in Homeland Security. He started the Misfit Nation podcast as a way to help veterans find their voice by telling their stories along with bringing in experts who are willing to share tips with the veterans on how to be successful through their action. Welcome, Rich. How are you? Doing great, Sandy. Thanks for having me on. Are you doing this in the middle of your day? Like, aren't you at work right now? It's your lunch break. <laughs> I'm kind of uh, working from home. <laughs> oh, okay. I like that. So what are you, before we get into anything, we got to find out your word. So what's one word that best describes what's been going on the past 30 days and why? Uh, I would say chaos. thanks for the honesty now i need to hear way more about that and uh my day job i i train soldiers here and uh due to actions of uh certain people in europe uh it's been pretty chaotic the last 30 days and and beyond probably the last 50 days but the last 30 days have been fast furious and chaos to get these young um women and men ready to go and do things and come home to us I can only imagine. I can only imagine. So when you say you train them, go through like a, what is just your average day? What do you do with them? So usually when I, when I head into work, I do some research, make sure I know uh, what's uh, relevant stuff going on in the world and intelligence wise so I can analyze and, and that way I'm producing them, uh, giving them the right product for the day. And then I train them on emerging threats. So I I teach them how to react to the emerging threats that the enemy is using or may Mm. use against them and how they should act in those situations. That way they can uh, look to their right and left and take care of their brother and sister and bring them home. I mean, thank you for doing that. And that also, it must be very stressful. It's not as much stress now as it was when I wore the uniform. Oh, okay. (laughs) When I wore the uniform, I I knew I wasn't coming home. I, I might not come home. I can go to work and wind up overseas for months at a time. Now I go to work and I come home and like today I'm working from home. So 
it's it's not a bad gig right now. So it, uh, I'm a lot of lot. Uh, I'm not stress free. No one's ever stress free, but uh, yeah, a yeah, lot, yeah, a lot less stress. It's perspective, you know. Yes. It's perspective. Gosh, I was trying to think of my nephew. We were talking about kids and how the anxiety and stress is up through the you know wazoo. Oh, and yeah. he's down at uh, Quantico in training for the Marines. <laughs> and he goes, you know, I don't have any pity on them, Aunt Sandy. I'm like, okay. Okay, Tanner. It's, I get it. But to them, it's real. Right. But he's thinking of the training he's been going through. You know? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Especially Marine in Quantico, I can, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I love his stories. But he loves it. I mean, he'll go out for a week and they'll torture him somewhere out and, you know, beyond. But I can still see a smile on his face like so I thought, okay, he's gonna, he's good for this. So, Rich, you were there. You said you are twenty-two years. That seems like a very long time. Yes, that's uh, most of my adulthood. And uh, I left uh, New Jersey in nineteen ninety-three to go active duty. I was in in college. I was playing college football. Uh, my the team I played for actually just was the Cinderella of the basketball, uh, the March Madness, uh, the St. Peter's Peacocks. That was the team I played for in college. Oh. Uh, we were the, probably the worst football team ever. We lost all games I played in two years. <laughs> but, but I was proud to be a Peacock, especially this year when they made it yes. to the final yeah, eight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now I know who you are. You're like, wait, that was your college? Yes. And a lot of people are like, you went there? I didn't know that. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, 93, I left. I moved from uh, New Jersey to Georgia uh, for my first duty station at Fort Stewart. And I started the the road, uh, two, I think two years at Fort Stewart. Then I went to Korea for a year, Fort Campbell for three years, mm. Fort Riley for five or six years. Uh, in the in that five or six years is when 9-11 happened. So I was in uh, Kuwait, actually, when 9-11 occurred. Oh, my. So we were already on the front lines, basically, when that happened. And we didn't think it was real. None of us did. We thought our lieutenant was joking with us and making a weird, crazy joke that uh, we're at Threat Con Delta, we're at war. And we're like, oh, there's no way, sir. There's no way this is really happening. You can't yeah. lie like that. Cause I said the Twin Towers was my basically out, out my back door, out my back window. I can see it from my, my backyard growing yeah. up in New Jersey. I said, there's no way you can lie like this to us. And yeah. I sent one of my soldiers to find out. And we had a what we called the CNN tank because they always had the news on. And he came running back, sergeant, hey, it's real. We're, this is real. It's really happening. Mm-hmm. So we, we flipped the switch at that point. So that was uh, September 11, 2001. And. Up to that point, everything was trained, 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 trained yeah, to fight, yeah, the, yeah. trained to fight the Russians, trained to fight these people, yeah. and then and all of a sudden now we're fighting everyone, everyone that hated us because mm. it was terrorism. Terrorism is everyone that hates hates your ideology, and the, they want to go against anything you believe in just because of what they're told. Just the same way, anyone here religious against religion against religion. If you don't believe that religion, you're a bad person. It's yeah. basically the same thing. So we stayed there until I think December. They sent us back, and then they sent us to California to the desert to train to go to the desert, ah. which was the weirdest thing I've ever done in my life. But I said we just came back from the desert, but now we have to learn how to fight in the desert. Okay, so we did that, and uh, and <laughs> we stayed. Uh, I didn't stay stay home for a little while. We, that was two thousand two. So two thousand three, I went back to Ramadi, Iraq. Now I'm sure you've seen like the movie American Sniper. Yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, that was yeah. a lot of that was in Ramadi, Iraq. A lot of the the horrible things he seen was in Ramadi, Iraq. But that was just after I was there. I was there 03 to 04 when it was just boiling up, and it was it was still horrible. It was bad. We yeah. lost about I think we lost sixty five people there in a the year. We were there between us and the Marines that worked with us. So it was a constant fight and a, a new fight because we weren't ready for, I guess, the asymmetric warfare type of thing where the enemy could be anywhere. They're not right in front of you, coming at you like you yeah. trained. They were everywhere. It was like being in Vietnam, like our uncles and uh, dads were in as well. Yeah. So we learned that, and from there it was just it was. I would say it was fast and furious for the next up until 2015 when I retired. I deployed three more times, uh, two more times after Romania. I'm sorry, and yeah. both of those times were to Afghanistan, 2010 and 11, and then again in 12. And uh, in 12, I got wounded uh, my third day in country. I got wounded. Got a mortar hit behind me. And I'm blasted through the back of my leg out the front. And uh, that's what woke me up. It was my wake-up call. Because I was down I was down on myself. And I knew that all my friends that I lost in combat were on their third or fourth uh, combat deployment. This was my fourth. I said, this is my turn. I'm, I'm not coming home. There's no way. I was negative yeah. Nancy. I was doing all the negative things. 
And I had one soldier, and she kept telling me, hey, Sergeant, that's not you. That's not you. Get your head out of your butt, Sergeant. Get your head out of your butt. And it took the mortar going through my leg to get my head out of my butt. But I always thank her for put, pushing me and uh, yeah. keeping that positivity. And she's one of our misfits. She was on, uh, I think, our second episode, Chantel uh, Watts. Great, great young lady. She's a Zumba expert, ah. fitness pro, so she's awesome. And uh, I call her uh, 8 Mile because she's from Detroit. So she's she's pretty good, awesome soldier, awesome person, awesome human. And uh, I came home from that one, and I wound up in a, in a specialized unit after that, which was pretty awesome. I tried to get into it 10 years before. They waited till I think it was two weeks after I got wounded, they accepted me. I said, well, that's strange. So now I'm, I'm wounded, I'm broken, now you want me in this unit. And I get there, and I just didn't have the desire no more. Uh, flashback to 1993, my first platoon sergeant was uh, Humberto Lopez. He told me, he told all of us, he said, you'll know when it's time to go. When your yeah. passion is gone, yeah, you'll feel it, and that's when it's time to hang up your boots and try something else and, and try your adult career. So I got up there, I did it, I liked it, but I just didn't have that passion, that drive, because I wanted to be with the soldiers I was with in combat, and I wasn't with them anymore. So I, I put in my retirement paperwork, and in June of 2015, I hung up my boots and then took a year off, uh, a complete year off. Yeah. Uh, no one would hire me. Uh, some people talked to me, they said, oh, you want too much money. I never even asked for anything. I just wanted a job, I wanted a purpose. Exactly 365 days after I retired, I, I got a job with the Mission Continues, and I was uh, helping veterans who were going through a six-month fellowship find their way back into their communities. Yeah. And yeah. it was it was awesome to get that purpose back, to, to lead others through the same minefield I went through for a year. Now I'm helping them go through that same minefield to come back to their community and give back and become welcome again and, and find their purpose. So I did that for exactly two years. I was going <laughs> to... There's a statistic out there that most veterans leave their first job after one year. Ah. It's because they don't have that same camaraderie. They don't have that sense of purpose. So I said, I'm going to stay more than a year because I don't want to be a statistic. Oh. So I stayed two <laughs> years, and I'm hard-headed. So. Yeah, yeah. I'll prove you wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so I stayed two years, and my one of my old first arms called me and said, hey, look, we have a position here right right by where my wife and daughter were, were staying because I, I was geo-batching in at the time to stay with the other job. I said, yes, I'll take it. And I applied, and he hired me on, and that's what I've been doing since. I've training soldiers for the last three years, and it's been an amazing, amazing ride doing that. You know, <laughs> Rich, there's so much to unpack there. But the first thing I just have to say is, all those years, what did you do to have that mental toughness, that mental fitness, as I call it? Because that's a lot of years of being banged around. Well, I like to bring it back to growing up in New Jersey and in the city and uh, having a, a tough mom and dad. Uh, they taught us toughness from from very young age. I was the youngest of four, and if you got hurt in the house, you got hurt in the house. That was it. There was no there was no crying. You you got hurt and you you went back outside. Or I broke my wrist one time. I walked in to tell my mom I broke my wrist, and she said, "Prove it." I said, <laughs> I said "Okay." And she and my bone was actually hanging out of my protruding oh from my, my wrist. I said, it's pointing out. She said, no, prove it. Because she worked at the hospital, so she didn't want to go back to take me there. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, so she made me try to open the door with it. I tried to open the door, and I just couldn't even turn it. She said, okay, I guess we have to go. So we went to the hospital. So, oh, thanks. Thanks, Mom. Uh, <laughs> I know it's not funny, but I've never heard a mom say prove it. Oh, well, we we laugh now about everything that happened back then, but it, it was yeah. kind of strange to us back then. Yeah, I, it would be strange to me, too. Yeah. Uh, we played football one time in the backyard, and there was a thorn bush, and my brother threw me into it on purpose because you know, that's how he was. Older brothers, that's what they do. And yeah. I, had, I had like probably 40 cuts on me, bleeding. And I came in the house, and she was more worried about me getting blood on the floor oh, and gosh. blood on my shirt than taking care of me. <laughs> All oh. right, she said, "Go back outside and play. Just don't mess up any more clothes." I was okay. <laughs> oh my god! So that taught us that uh, physical toughness, and Dad would always give us tidbits of advice to keep us mentally tough and mentally fit. And in my book, Thirteen Step Guides to Success, I give a lot of thanks to both of them for everything they did to did for all four of us yeah. to teach us and give us that mindset to be positive and stay strong through even the worst situations. <laughs> Rich, we could have a whole nother podcast about <laughs> your upbringing because, <laughs> it, like you said, you you do have a close relationship with them, right? Yes. 
Yeah. Well, my dad. My mom passed a couple of years ago, right before, uh, right in 2019, she passed away. But up till then, you did, right? Oh, yeah. Talk yeah. to him every week. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And it, it, some of the methods seem, you know, like a little out there, but, you know, they worked for you. All Definitely. right. So thanks, mom and dad. I can see that. But still in all, I mean, that's a lot of years. Like, and you, like you said, I, your, uh, what's her name? Shanti? Chantel. Chantel said, wait a minute, what's going on? This is not you. So up to then, you were in a positive headset. Oh, yeah. Always, always positive, always pumped up, moving forward. And I even, I volunteered for the last deployment to go. And it was just after I volunteered and realizing uh, the number, uh, how many of my buddies I lost over the, over the time of the war, yeah. that was always their third or fourth deployment. And so I had that negative mindset, this is it for me. I've, I've played with fate too long, and uh, this is it. I'm going to yeah. go. Yeah. There's no way I can dance uh, dance with the devil this many times and come home whole. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's You're what happened. You've done your I've, lives, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've respawned enough over the time, and uh, and now it's my turn to, to pay the ultimate price. And when I got hit with that mortar, it was like, Everything opened up for me. I seen light. I seen everything. I was everything was clear to me. And I went to get the surgery over in Afghanistan. They did surgery on me, and they wanted to send me to Germany to get further surgery. And I said no. I said I gotta get back to my guys. I gotta get back in this fight. I'm I'm ready now. And they're like, what? I said I'm ready now. I'm good. Let's go. Let's go back in the fight. And I stayed there till the end of our de- our deployment. And I was pumped up the entire time. Okay, so I asked my listeners before you came on, what questions did they have for you? And them being mindset people, they do want to know, did you have anything, a routine that you did every day to keep you in that mindset while you were over there deployed? Oh, definitely. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll go to the 2010-11 deployment in Afghanistan. I was a, a new senior leader that got sent there. I went from Korea to Fort Campbell for 60 days and then met my unit in Afghanistan. So I didn't meet any of them until we were in war. And when I got there, I'd wake up at three in the morning and I'd go running every morning, go run oh. three in the morning to get my body going and uh, get my physical, physical fitness in. And then I'd always read, I'd read something either about the country, about the culture of Afghanistan oh. or about, about the unit I was now attached to assigned to. So I'd be mentally strong and physically strong and then throughout the day, I do physical checks on everybody, make sure they were doing the right things, and also check in on myself and write. I journal every day to make sure I I understood everything I did and made sure I didn't make the same mistakes the next day. So to keep that positive momentum going forward every day. Okay, you had me at journal. All right, so <laughs> I'm a big. <laughs> I made a living at it. So tell me a little bit more about that journal. You would write down exactly what, like, go through it. I'd wake up and uh, I'd go through my day, and at the end of the day, I'd, I'd write down everything I did. So if I did say I ran three miles that day, I ran around the, the Ford operating base, and I got uh, three miles in. I ran three miles at 3 a.m. Uh, the sand really sucks. I put that in there. and uh, Gotcha. Then the next thing I do, read read a little bit of the book Taliban to see to see what they think about us. And I, I read that book probably three or four times during those two years I was there just to make sure I was up to date on up on everything and knew what I was doing when I walked out that wire. Wow. And I'd write everything I did that I could remember at the end of the day that was positive and negative and every interaction I had with one of my soldiers that maybe they needed help and I was able to help them or I had to get them to help from somewhere else. So I'd write all that down in my journal every day and I kept that for the entire 2010-11 period over there. Wow. So I love the fact that you researched how the enemy thought. Yes, that's that was big for me, and uh, I guess it comes from Sun Tzu: uh, uh, "Know your enemy as you know yourself." And yeah, that that's the only way you can go into battle, especially in that type of battle. With a, you're in battle not against a nation state; you're in battle against a belief system, which is the Taliban, and uh, now they're in, they're in power now, which is another horrible. That's another whole podcast there, but yeah, yeah, uh, right. They were radicals, and we were in their homeland in Kandahar, Afghanistan, which is where they were born and where they were able to live freely for most of the time that our forces were there because we were so occupied with Iraq. So from 2003 to 2010, we were so focused on Iraq, we let them build and build and build in southern Afghanistan, but really not getting checked by anybody. There was a small contingent of Canadians there before us, 
and they had their hands full because you know they're they're only a small unit. We yeah. went there with a, br- a brigade size element and in force, and we took the fight to them, and we we eradicated them from Kandahar while we were there. You know, uh, are you writing any books about all these trips that you've had? <laughs> I'm uh, <laughs> deciphering my handwriting in most of my journals right now, <laughs> so I could. Uh, so 2003, 2004, that one is uh, my worst handwriting probably, but yeah. uh, my 1011 is a handwriting, and I typed a lot of it, so that one's gonna be a lot easier to write. And uh, 12, yeah. uh, 2012, I also typed all that as well. Even when I was wounded, I, every day of my comeback, I called it my comeback year. Once I got wounded, I had to start that comeback and sneak to the gym to go on the treadmill and and walk and then run. Well, because I wasn't supposed to do any of that stuff, according to the doctor. He told me I would never run again because he knew I liked to run. And I, I had to prove him wrong. I took that challenge and I accepted it. And I moved forward <laughs> of course. With that. So at 3 in the morning, I'd wake up there in uh, Kunar, Afghanistan, and I'd get on that treadmill and then get back into the hooch, which is our uh, our living quarters, before my team leader would wake up. So he wouldn't think I left. And he'd go to the gym at like four thirty, five o'clock, come back, and then we'd go to breakfast. But I'd already had worked out and... He, he caught on after a while. He, he, he'd he see that I was still out of breath in the bed, and the, my crushes were on the floor just thrown down because I was angry at him and things like that. So he, he understood that, that what I was doing and how I was trying to move forward in life. Yeah. So when you mentioned that you're writing two books, is it about being over there, or is that totally a different subject? Uh, the one book I'm writing right now is definitely uh, – it's a, it's a fictional book, but it's uh, – based pretty strongly on many people I met over my time in combat okay. and the struggles, the, not only the struggles they had in combat, but the struggles that most of them have when they come home. Yeah. And yeah. most uh, soldiers and uh, uh, most veterans have a lot of problems when they return. And it's because everything slows down. And when you return, when you're over in combat or even when you're serving here, every day is a, an adventure. So you, your adrenaline pumps every day. When you're in combat, it's 365 days a year, 24-7. You're always on. And then you come home, you're supposed to just turn that off, and your body, your mind can't do that. Yeah. you got to yeah. find ways to, to figure that out and, and do other things to try to keep your keep your mental state right, or you're going to wind up going down the wrong path, which leads to the, the darkness and the 22 a day you hear about with veterans all the time. Is there... A place that, I mean, I should know this, but I don't. Like, as soon as you get home, do they recommend you go to a specific mental health center to guide you through? <laughs> no. Uh, they, we go through something that's like a reintegration training, it's called. So you go through, it's like a, a week, I think, five days of every day. They have scheduled things, scheduled events for you to go through to reintegrate back to the to the real world, to this side of the world, I guess, to, to society and uh, one of the stations is you go you go through a mental health professional, and they ask you standard questions based on uh, other things, other soldiers or sailor or veterans that came through before you. What they troubles they had, they ask you those same questions, and your answers they just write them down. And um, after my ten eleven deployment, I actually said I need help, and they said no, you're good, go back, <laughs> and uh, you got to lead soldiers. I was like, oh okay. So it wasn't until I got out yeah. and I went to the VA and the VA. They uh, sent me to a civilian uh, social worker, and that guy, he helped me out a lot and put me on the right path, to, the path to glory, I call it. And I actually ran into him the other day, and I thanked him again. So, uh, so you said one week? That's yeah. what you get? One week <laughs> <Yeah>. to transition. <laughs> That's your reintegration right there. And then and then most times you get sent on leave, so you, they think that decompresses you too. But now you're that leave, you're, if you're married especially, your wife or your husband, depending on which one was the soldier, is home running the home while you're gone. Yeah. Now you come home and you think that you're supposed to jump right in and be that person again, be the lead. You're not going to be. It's going to yeah. cause chaos. It's going to cause havoc. And and that's what a lot of a lot of marriages ended end right after that honeymoon period when you come home. They're happy the first day, and then it slowly deteriorates. And within six months to a year, you see a lot of divorces getting filed. Uh, me, I was lucky. I had a strong wife and. I knew she was in charge of the house, so I never even tried. I said, I'm good. I'm t- just, just tell me what I'm supposed to be doing, and uh, yeah. I got it. And, yeah. Uh, we had it down, Pat. Well, you are lucky, and that that, that is – I have heard that, and it's it breaks my heart because it, it's a lose-lose situation. You you feel as if, like, wait a minute. I have nothing else to do. Now i got to contribute. But they've been having their, you know, their system down for so many years. Right. <laughs> and you can't come in and be a, 
I like to call it a seagull. You come in and crap all over everything and then leave again. You can't yeah. do that. Yeah. It, that doesn't help anybody at all. So you, you need to just uh, kind of stay in the background and help when you can and ask if they need help. That, that, that usually helps out a lot too, just by asking and showing that you care. And, yeah. And be part of it, but don't be the boss unless they ask you to be. Good advice, Rich. Good advice. <laughs> All, right. Good. All right. So I want to back up something that you had said at the beginning. You said nobody would give you a job because they thought you were too expensive, but they didn't even know what you charged. That doesn't make right. sense to me. No one day. I was told three times that you, we couldn't afford to pay you. And I said, you never even asked me what I wanted to get paid. Oh, but we know what you'd ask. No, you don't. I just wanted yeah. a job. I wanted to get out of the house. I was sitting home drinking and hanging out with my dogs all day. Yeah. It was, it was not productive at all, believe me. <laughs> but no. My wife was very happy when I got out of the house and got a job. So. Yeah. Are there companies that are known for hiring veterans that they go, hey, these companies go for them because they're really going to help you out? There's a lot out there and uh, a lot of them, you'll see a lot of people say we hire veterans or we do this for veterans and a lot of those they just they use it for statistics, so I guess they get some kind of government grant or something. But then gotcha. there are those one those are ones like Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, Booz Allen Hamilton, uh, SAIC. They love veterans. They will take a veteran into their realm right away. And I think Lockheed Martin actually has a uh, a veteran program. I forget what it's called now, but they take you in. It's kind of like an internship, but they're paid in there, mm-hmm. and they train you on a new skill to get you in. As long as you kind of fit into that skill from what you did in the military. They'll push you into their into their development and get you into Lockheed Martin and then let you start working the, the ladder. So it's pretty awesome how they do it. Yeah. Listen, I, I have a question that came up. I, I always call my guests when they want to be anonymous, Billy Bob. And <laughs> Billy Bob wants to say, he said, is there, I guess his uncles had PTSD. He goes, is there anybody that comes out and doesn't have it? Right now, if you're asking me from a, from a veteran point of view, I'd say there's people that really don't have it but are diagnosed with it because it's easier for the medical professional to say everyone has it and then uh, they get they get that rating but I there's a large number of people that come out with it because you're exposed to a lot of trauma you especially if yeah. you're deployed you know my first trauma in the military uh, was a helicopter crash right here in Fort Campbell uh, it was my first major trauma I guess uh, the helicopter flew over my squad and then crashed about 500 meters from us and uh, seven guys died on that helicopter, and we we actually evacuated five alive. One of them passed away later, but that was right next to us, and that was embedded in our skulls for forever. Yeah, and that's that was my first squad, my first time as a squad leader. So that was a bunch of young guys and me, guys, gals, and then me as a, a young leader, and trying to wave through that minefield when it happened and. We're still very close now. That was 1999. The yeah. thing that made me the most angry about that was that same week was when Columbine happened. So that happened to us. I think Columbine happened on Tuesday. This happened on Thursday. Friday, that Thursday night, we got sent home to get out of our bloody clothes and go right back out in the woods. And the only thing I seen on TV was this Columbine talking about kids that killed people. I said, I said what does that even matter? I said, we had dead soldiers. That's that's all it were. That's just angered me to death about Columbine. Yeah. Not the fact that there's... Two, uh, two young men went ballistic and tried to kill all their classmates. Not till years later did I understand the, the gravity of that because I was so angry in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was our first trauma. And seeing the young young soldiers' faces, one was impaled on a tree. It was it was pretty uh, pretty intense scene. It was almost like a Hollywood scene. That's why I told everything to slow down so much in there. But all our training kicked in. That was the thing I told my soldiers from that point on. That's everything you think is not, uh, not going to help you in training that you think is boring. It all kicked in automatic when that helicopter crashed, and we were able to get those four young young men out of there alive, and they're able to have productive lives now. You know, you, you talk about that. You're saying about don't hold on to grudges and be mad and stay angry. I would think in some of these situations, that's really difficult. Oh, it is. <laughs> it is very, uh, it's very hard not to hold a grudge and uh, stay angry. When I was young, me, it was a... Uh, uh, they used to call me two second fuse when I was young and I get oh. mad at someone and, I, and I'd go nuts and, and it was hard for me to calm down. And now yeah. it's, now it's like night and day. And uh, I, I'll sit there and just listen to someone say some of the worst things to people. And I'll just say, bless your heart. And I'll walk away and uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow, man. You'll be all right tomorrow. You'll be a different person. and We'll be all right. Everything will work out well. 
That's a major shift from two seconds. Oh yeah, yeah. They, they. My brother. I went to high school with my uh, immediate older brother Steve, and then my my buddy Vinny who lived next door. And in high school, if someone went after either one of them, I would I would be the first person to throw a punch because I was angry that someone was doing something to them. So I was the two second fuse guy all the time, yeah. and it led in that started in my in my army career too. Early in my army career, I was like that, but I learned right away that in the army that. That's not tolerated, so you have to really change your ways. So they want to know what can they do, especially this young woman. She said she's seen a lot of bad stuff, and she was in combat, and she just seems so angry at some of the things people say on social media. So what what does Rich do to deal with that? On social media, it's very easy. You just go right by it. Don't leave it. <laughs> Don't go on there. I mean, you you can go on there, and there's going to be. I mean, there's always going to be that one person on social media that's going to say something that's just nuts, and they don't even mean what they're saying. They're just trying to get a response, and and they're waiting for like a your listener that wrote that in. How do they get through that? Just just scroll by, scroll on by, and uh, you'll be you'll feel much better the next day. Go look at pictures of puppies that are on there. There's a lot of puppy pictures on social media. They make everyone happy and. I laugh at dogs. Every, that's what I look for when I drive to work or drive home. I look for a dog hanging out of a car to make me laugh, and that's the, that makes me happy. And looking at people's anger on social media, I usually laugh at it now. I used to let mm-hmm. it get me angry, and I'd want to answer. And I said, "What's it me answering going to do? What does that do for anybody if I answer? It just makes me look like the bad guy. So, and it makes all veterans look like the bad guy if a if a veteran goes in there and and writes what the truth is." Yeah, yeah, It makes yeah. Sam look like the lunatic, and they're they're the one starting this problem. No, it's the person who made the original post. So you just let it go, and, and yeah. And if it's someone that you know, and they're they're trying to egg you on, think about re reevaluate why they're in your life, and maybe put them to the outer circle. Don't put yeah. them in the inner circle. Well, I know you mentioned LinkedIn. I have friends that have gone off Instagram and Facebook because they just couldn't deal with it, but they stay on LinkedIn. Right. And LinkedIn is supposed was made to be the professional network area, mm-hmm. but it's kind of. I mean, if you've been on lately, you, you can see that it's bled over there as well. You can yeah. see a lot of the the Facebook isms are over there now, and people are baiting people on LinkedIn now too. Especially with the charged political climate we've had the last couple of years or last yeah. few years, yeah, it was that bled into LinkedIn, and you can see the divide on there as well. So on there, I usually just look for a professional post, and I stay with those. If not. I don't even look at them. If someone posts a meme on LinkedIn, uh, I just scratch my head and think why, and then I keep going. Yeah. I uh, I really do feel as if the people that I connect with on Facebook and Instagram, LinkedIn, I mean, they're not filled with hatred. And if they were, I would, like you said, I don't know if they're there and I just go by them or ignore them or, they're, you know, they're just not on my site. But one time somebody was trying to egg me on about having a different political view and I don't even talk politics. And it was, she was getting really ugly about it. And my son said, mom, you got to respond. I go, no way. I'm just going to ignore it. And I think that that hurts the more when you don't, when you don't respond to them, especially if they target you with it. If you don't respond, that hurts their feelings even more. And then they, they try to reevaluate what they're doing to the next person. Yeah, I mean, I don't, right? I don't think there was going to be any good coming out of me engaging. Because, no, you got to fight back. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. Because, and then eventually they went away. Right. And they're just trying to get some kind of bad response, make you make a bad move, make you make yeah. a mistake. And then ruin your brand name, ruin everything that you work yeah, for. Yeah, so like hard. see that positive girl. She's really not that. Yeah, positive. she's not positive. Let's, <laughs> let's get away from her. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. So. What the heck? You're getting your doctorate? Yes. <laughs> I mean, what are you, bored there? Writing two books, full-time job, and now you're getting your doctorate in Homeland Security. I mean, you're a busy person, man. It's kind of like a it was challenge accepted on this one. Uh, I graduated at Georgetown University right at right when the pandemic started, so I didn't get to walk across the stage. That kind of ups. I didn't get to walk across the stage when I got my bachelor's. Uh, that was in 2015 after working t- 22 20, a long time, 27 years almost, to get my bachelor's degree because I put it on hold after I left college football to be in the Army. Yeah, I pushed all my soldiers to get degrees, but I never got my own. I didn't get mine till I think, six months before I retired, I got my bachelor's degree. But I couldn't go and walk there either because I was in Maryland. The, the ceremony would have been in Iowa, so I wasn't going to pay to fly out there just to walk across stage. Then um, I went to Georgetown for my master's, and I was all pumped up. I was doing great and yeah. graduation, and then – 
COVID. I said, oh, man. <laughs> but, but someone, <laughs> someone, someone run the thing. Yeah, not again. I, this time I can't even go. I even bought the the gown, the hat, the hat dress uh, and all that. Got everything. Oh, I was all pumped bugger. up. We were going to go up to D.C., hang out for the week and go to Georgetown and walk across. And then, of course, COVID re- reared its ugly head and everyone, everything shut down just in time for my graduation. But someone in my last class, my professor said, there's no way you can ever get a doctorate. You don't have what it takes. So I wrote that down. I said, I don't have what it takes. So I said, that's a challenge. I'm going to accept that challenge. I'm going to prove this person wrong. So as soon as that graduation was called off, I started looking for schools and I found Liberty University. I applied. I had a couple of people write me character references, sent all my transcripts in, and I was accepted. I said, here we go. Challenge accepted. Let's do this. And, <laughs> And about a year year from now, I'll be uh, Dr. LaMonica, I guess. So. Oh, my. I, I'm so glad these people are putting good challenges out for you. <laughs> yes. You're not going to run. Yes, I will. Yes, I will. <laughs> Let's you know? see what else we can come up with. <laughs> so is it, I have to ask, is it something you have to go there in person or can you do it online? I do the classes online. Uh, everything oh, is online. Wow. It's, it's perfect. Uh, so I, I started that and then started the podcast, my podcast, about the same time. Yeah. So I had about eight hours left in my week that I were not accounted for. That's why I started the podcast. And so now I have my sleep time is my only uh, non-busy time of the day. So it's pretty awesome. Uh, let's get into the Misfit Nation because, first of all, the title is <laughs> Crazy Good. Crazy, crazy good. It caught my attention. And at first I thought, is this about fitness? I wasn't really sure. Then I read more and I'm like, ah, maybe he'll still have me on because I'm mindset. And tell them a little bit about why you started it. Well, in 2010, uh, when I fell in on my platoon in uh, Kandahar, Afghanistan, the platoon I was given wasn't the platoon I was supposed to have. So the platoon I was supposed to have was supposed to be all one specific MOS, which was Chemical Operations Specialists. And we were recon platoon, but by the time I got there, they split them all up into other platoons to do because they're all able to adapt to other things. They're all smart soldiers; they can do any pretty much any job in the army. I get there, and they gave me uh, soldiers from every other platoon in the battalion. So I called it the island. We called ourselves the Island of Misfit Toys. So as the year went on, and uh, we got stronger, our bond got stronger. And then December thirty first, uh, two thousand ten, uh, Sergeant Michael Beckerman was taken from us by the Taliban. He was. He walked into a compound and was killed, and uh, that's what really solidified us. But it wasn't what started us. That's what solidified us and gave us that uh, glue to bond us forever. And uh, we've been uh, pretty tight ever since. And as we grew since then, we take others in. Uh, we're not exclusive to just that platoon. So there's people in the with that are misfits now that I just met recently, like within the last couple of years, that are still part. They understand our values, understand what we believe in, mindset, leadership, family, loyalty. They understand all that, and they want to be part of it, and they have joined and, and became part of our flock and kept us pushing forward with the Misfit Nation. And and you want them to have a voice. Isn't that what you said? You want them to have a, a voice, a place to be heard. Yes. Uh, I believe a veteran that can tell their stories, a veteran that will stay with us forever. If they keep it all bottled up, it it causes that hatred inside them, causes that anger to grow, and, and then they go to either – they start drinking heavily and they wind up going down that path to darkness and we yeah. lose them or yeah. they do something really stupid and wind up in jail. And, uh, if we let them have a voice and come on my platform and tell us, tell your story, just tell me your story, man, tell it. And that let, gets it out there and that helps them, gives them that off their chest, breathe, let me breathe it out. Yeah. They, they tell their story, they breathe it out and they feel a lot better. Cause I knew when I finally got to that social work and I was able to tell my story, I felt so much better and talking to him. I never even met him before. And I was able to tell him my entire story, tell him every, uh, everything that was mm-hmm. uh, tickling my mind, I guess at that point. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I was able to share all that with him and over many, uh, many visits. And, uh, I mean, I would shock him with some of the stuff that I would tell him and I would just hear him. What, what? Said, yeah. Just, I, he said, just keep going, keep going, let it go, let it all out. So that's what I did. Let everything out. And I felt so much better. So I figured if I can help one, do the same thing they'll in turn help someone do the same thing and that'll start a tidal wave to help veterans stay with us a lot longer yeah i love that you're doing that this gentleman here another guy asked is does rich have a one of his deployments that he felt was one of the most successful that he could share with us uh most successful 
Yeah. My mission to Kunar in uh, 2012, when I got wounded, we were embedded with an Afghan National Army uh, battalion. And it was at the time, I don't know if you remember, uh, listeners, uh, that when a lot of Afghan soldiers were going against American soldiers while they were living with them and killing them and agreeing on blue attacks and stuff like that. So that was one of the stressors we had. We wound up as a 12-person team living amongst 300 Afghan soldiers, and we had the most successful rotation of anyone over there. We trained our trained our Afghan partners to be successful in combat, to, to lead their own missions, to do every, plan their missions, to get the logistics. And, I mean, they had me teach them how to shoot a mortar that I never even touched before. I trained them on that mortar. I looked at YouTube videos the night before and trained them on it. And that felt like it was the most successful one I had because everything we did to them was positive and momentum. We had no negative incidents with them. And we all came home standing upright, even though I was limping a little. Yeah. We, also, we were all standing upright. Yeah. What about one of the most difficult? I would say the 2010 one. Uh, we lost a lot of young men and women on that deployment, including Sergeant Beckerman. That was my first soldier that I lost in combat. And, oh, uh, wow. It was a gut punch, and especially New Year's Eve. You know, it's holiday time. I never met his family before then. I met his wife because she was in our unit as well. Uh, great, great young lady. She's in Florida now doing great things, uh, training dogs uh, to be uh, service dogs. Oh. Uh, great, great young woman. And uh, she was the only one of his family I met. And when we lost him, I didn't know where she, I didn't know what fob she was on at the time. And it took them a while to get her and get her back to him to actually be with him on the plane to come home. And me to tell all the young soldiers, because he was like a hero to all the young soldiers, because he was a jokester. He was like the life of the party. He loved to make everyone laugh, loved to be loved to be the light in the tent, and loved to be the light when we were on a mission. So yeah. to, to have to break that news to each soldier, to each leader, and get through the next uh, five months without winding up on CNN for doing something crazy was probably the hardest, most difficult deployment I ever had. So how did you do it for 22 years? I mean, so, <laughs> I mean, I know there was a lot of upswings, but man, oh, man. Uh, the, the ups, I think, outweighed the downs over yeah. overall, and uh, yeah. that's the best part of it. And meeting so many awesome humans uh, along the way, I had so many great leaders to – that pushed me in the right direction and and taught me the best ways to lead and taught me the best way to take care of people and te- treat treat them as capital and not as a product. So you, you treat them as equal. So I tried to make my soldiers learn so they could beat me, to be ahead of me, to take my job and beyond me. Ooh. And that was my that was my goal to make sure that they were the next me or beyond. And every one of them that passed me, they Thank you, Sarrant. Thank you for everything you did. But now I'm in charge. Yeah, you got it. You do it. It's your it's your show now. I'm I'm on the sidelines now. I'm a civilian. It doesn't matter to me. As long right. as you're successful and you're happy and you're doing the same thing I taught you, it's outstanding. You know, that's a great leader. And that's a confident person because many people don't do that. Like you said, you wanted them to surpass you. Right. Yeah. That's, that's an awesome leader. Not just over there, but in business to be able to do that. I mean, to me, my favorite mentors I can think of they wanted to teach me everything they knew, everything. And it sounds like that's what you did for your people. Yeah, every lesson I learned, I, I passed on to them. And I I would keep all my lessons. We had what we called leader books back you know, before the war. We had, It was like almost like a trapper keeper with everything that about your soldier, plus all the lessons that you learned along your, your journey to that point. And yeah. I'd make them a copy and give it to them. I said, look, if I keep it with me, it stays with me and it dies with me. If I give it to you, it goes to you, and you can pass it on to the next generation, and it keeps growing along the way. So that knowledge is never lost; it's always there. Yeah. Well, by the way, as far as your knowledge and tidbits, I love some of these things. I got to make sure I get them in because <laughs> I could just see well, like finish up. But if you dream, goal chase it. It will not chase you. Yes. If you have a dream, if you have a goal, something you want to do, like for me to write that first book, Thirteen Step Guide to Success. If you have a goal to run your first marathon, open a business, whatever, don't sit home and say, that's my goal. You got to stand up. You got to put that work in. You got to chase it. They're not going to chase you. Neither one of them will chase you. The book's not going to come running behind you. Hey, write me. The business isn't going to come up running behind you. Hey, here's your business plan. You have to do all that stuff. You have to make the steps to do it. You have to get in the trenches. You got to dig it. You got to get that carpal tunnel right in that book. You got to do everything you can to make it successful. Otherwise, it's just going to be out there flapping. Yeah. I know a lot of people say, you know, 
about me doing the self-help and positive mindset that, oh, you just sit home and wish it. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I get in a positive mindset, and then I take a lot of action, a lot, <laughs> a lot of action from that space. And just the other day, somebody said, oh, yeah, you got two speaking gigs. They just come easy to you. I go, do you know the 30 rejections I got or people that? You know, didn't get back to me. I mean, you must be familiar with that, Reg. It's, it's a oh, lot yeah. of, you know, people a, saying no to you until you hear yes. You got to take 15, 50, 50 to 60 no's before you get that one awesome yes, before that one door opens. For all the doors that close, windows that close, there's a door that's going to open, and all of a sudden, all the doors will open because they'll say, oh, I can't believe we didn't open that door for that person because they're actually, they have something for us, and we were just holding them back because we were afraid of them or afraid of what they might do or might say. We didn't know them, so we did that. So you got to, like you said, you got to keep pushing until those doors come out. And like even with my podcast, my first guest to outside of my inner circle, yeah. it, it was a it was an eye opener to get that first guest on there and, and like a big breath of relief that I got someone I did not know come on the show. <laughs> and, yeah. Because everyone tries to get, you know, you, to get it going, you got to have friends and family on there. You need that background. You need that yeah. that village to help you get going. But then once you get that other person outside, you're like, yes, now we're real. And that's how that's how I felt. I think it was episode five or six for me. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, which, your tagline, be humble, stay hungry, keep hustling. Do you have that written everywhere? Yes, <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I, have, I have it on my board in front of me with my goals for the year and uh, – I have it in all my notebooks. I write that. The first thing I write on there, I think, well, the notebook I have now, the cover says plans for world domination, but usually oh, I write I like on, the, usually on, the, on the cover I wrote, be humble, stay hungry, and, and keep hustling. Because if you're humble, people usually come to you. If you're braggadocious, they kind of stay away from you. Yeah. And you, you stay hungry and you keep hustling. Those They all go together, the three H's of leadership there. You keep pushing forward and people will gravitate to you and then they'll – find that same mindset and they'll do the same things. Yeah, I I, I used to always want to have like this most brilliant guest on, right? And I was like, <laughs> wow, you know, I was so impressed by all the things they've done. And most of them, Rich, were humble, most of them. But now and then I would get a guest saying, you know, like the other day, this guy said, you know, you're really smarter than I thought. I go, really? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? I didn't know what to say. I'm like, okay, well... Let's just continue on. And he goes, I wasn't sure, you know, because he was a, a neuroscientist, you know, and I wow. only had my <laughs> master's degree. And I, <laughs> and I thought, okay, how am I going to cut that out of that episode or should I keep it in, you know? Because, I, I mean, people really don't respond to that. They really don't. Right. And uh, I had uh, General Stanley McChrystal. He was the head of all forces in Afghanistan for a while. I don't know if you remember, he was exposed uh, by an article in Rolling Stone, I believe it was. He said something that he thought was not on the record, and it came out, and he wound up losing uh, the position. But he did so much in his career as a four-star general, led troops in all theaters of combat. He has the McChrystal Group now, leadership focused for corporations. He came on my show, and we talked like we were just two guys sitting in a bar talking. Aww. Most humble guy I've ever talked to, and... He wanted to turn the show around and interviewing me a little bit at the end, so I kind of lost control. But it, it was because I was in <laughs> awe of him a little bit. But yeah, it, I was I was humble. I was being humble, and he was even more humble. So it was it was kind of strange. It was awesome though to have him on. Isn't that great? And most people are like that. You're like they've done all this, but they're so excited to share their knowledge with the world. Uh, I get blown away every single time. So, Rich, what's going to go happen in for the next five years? What do you think you're going to be doing with this uh, doctor? So with the doctorate, I look, um, I'm hoping to either be a consultant for Homeland Security and or a professor so I can give back and teach the cool. next generation of Homeland Security experts, uh, academia, and also practitioners. I'm more of the practitioner side. On the, I tell people I'm the non-academic academic because I can't really speak in academic terms, but I can actually do it. So I'm learning, learning and growing on that side. Oh, I uh, love that. I love that you said it that way. As far as the podcast, I hope to have a better sound room and uh, maybe a co-host to, to jump in and help me out every once in a while and maybe a couple more books in the next five years. That sounds like fun. Sounds yeah. like you got a good plan going on. You will definitely not get bored. And no. <laughs> I'm sure you'll accept more challenges. I have one coming up this November. Okay, which is? So, 
my buddy George, uh, he's in St. Louis. He was my boss when I got my first job out there, and uh, we became real good friends. He's actually on his way here now because we're going to do a, a march on Saturday for called the Mountain Man Memorial March. We're going to do 13 miles up in the mountains of Gatlinburg Ooh. in memory of all the soldiers that we've lost over time. It's going to it's going to be a whole lot of people out there marching. So, meaning we'll put a rucksack on and we'll march. But last week, week and a half ago, he, he called me, knowing my answer before he even asked it. He said, look, I have a crazy idea. I said, okay, what is it? He said, I want to start a march from the Arch in St. Louis and walk to Fort Campbell's division headquarters. I said, well, that's a long way, man. I never said yes. I never said no. I was, But immediately I was just looking on my phone at the the map to see how yeah. far it was. He's like, yeah, we can do it in three days. I said, we're not doing it in three days. There's no way. I said, I'll get back to you. But I, he already knew I said yes without even saying it. Yeah. And a couple of days later, I posted on my Facebook the challenge was accepted, and we will do it, and we're going to march in to advocate for veterans uh, starting the day after Thanksgiving and hopefully finish by the Wednesday after. Yeah, I was going to say, did you figure out exactly how many days it would take you? I, I say six would be uh, reasonable without either one of us getting hurt too bad. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and what did and he not say, having... three? He said three? He said, oh, yeah, he's always a way ahead, guys. No, man, it, it's not going to be that easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good for you. I think that's cool. That's really fun to have things like that to look forward to and challenge you. Rich, it's been so much fun having you on the show. But before we go, we have to do rapid fire and switch gears. You ready? Fun um, questions. Here we go. Favorite food? Uh, hot dogs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do you have a favorite hot dog stand you go to? I love my uh, favorite it hot was dog stand. Boulevard Drinks in Jersey City, New Jersey. Okay. Color. Favorite color? Blue. What do you like to do in your spare time? A hobby. Uh, <laughs> uh, work out. Work out. There you go. Okay. Any books that you've read in the last year you could recommend? Uh, 13 Step Guides to Success by Rich LaMonica. There you go. <laughs> I, I love that answer. <laughs> okay. What would one of your favorite days look like if you woke up and you didn't have to do anything? What would you do from morning to night? Uh, I'd be up in the mountains somewhere, get up and just watch nature all day and just hang out. Okay. Any animal. You can be any animal. What would you pick and why? Uh, people would probably say me, a monkey. I'm always oh. moving around so much. <laughs> <laughs> a monkey. By the way, my son started Monkey Monday. It's the last Monday of the month. They post about 30 monkey pictures and it caught in. It's like one of my favorite days. And my ringtone are monkeys. Nice. Yeah, I love monkeys. Okay, when I say the word universe, what does it mean to you? It means everyone that's around you, that, that's your universe. Uh, so it, your world is not just Earth. It's, it's not just your house. It's Your universe is everyone that's involved in, in the heartbeat of this world we live in. Ooh, cool. Oh, I like that one. Writing that one down, Rich. <laughs> All right. All right. Before we go, tell them how they can find you or find your podcast. Oh, let's uh, just go to our website, themisfitnation.com. It has all our episodes. Uh, I think it's 130-something now. Uh, we're on military broadcast radio now. Uh, we'll be going live on Tuesdays. So that's all on the website as well. The contact form is on there as well. So if you want to be a guest, you can also jump on there. Our book is on there, and our merchandise is also on the website. Oh, cool. Cool beans. All right, my let's keep it real people. Rich kept it real. And you're definitely going to want to share this. We've never had a veteran on sharing stories. Come on. And these were so inspirational to everybody. We will really appreciate you also liking and rating it. It means so much. Rich, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you uh, extending the hand to let me let's switch mics and uh, me be on the other side this time. Yeah, I love it. And I love your stories. Until next time, guys, you know what I'm going to say. Toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.